Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, this is where we're going to be today. And um, as you're stepping into Hebrews 12 and uh, finding your way there, I want to ask you a question and I want you to respond. If you could sum up in one word what discipline was like in your family of origin, what would that word be? Spank. Spank. (laughs) Okay. Strict. Consistent. Okay. Guiding with love. That was two words, but it's good. (laughs) What else? One word to sum up the discipline in your family of origin. Fear. Okay. Faithful. Painful. Fair. What was that? Boundaries? Any others? Inconsistent. Okay. Safety? Okay, this is good. And the reason I want us to do this is you kind of get a feel that in some settings there may have been some similarities, but there's also some differences, isn't there? And that's common. And in fact, uh, another question we could ask is if we asked those of you who are still at home and still under your parents' roof, what discipline is like, what would you sum up with one word to describe discipline in your home right now? I'm not going to make you do that, okay? But we need to think about this because whether we realize it or not, each one of us steps into a subject like this with a preconceived idea of what has been And oftentimes also this opinion, strong opinion sometimes about what should be. And many times we may find ourselves asking, where's the balance? Because in my view, this is how it should be. And yet in this person's view, this is how it should be. And if we step into and try to figure out what we should do based on what everyone else thinks we should do, we step into something called relativism. And that relativism is this concept that uh, what works for you is good for you, but what works for me is good for me, and we can just get along even though we disagree. And while there may be merit in discussing and having an idea of how someone else approaches something differently than me, 
Ultimately, the question we should really be asking, and what I want to challenge you to ask today, is what does God's Word reveal about what discipline should look like? And even more specifically, what does God's Word reveal about God's discipline upon His children? Because if we're really going to understand how we should go about seeing the disciplinary functions in the current family structure, we first need to understand what God's purpose in disciplining His own children is. So that's what we're going to look at today. But before we go further into this, I want to read the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Because if we move on into verses 3 through 11 without first grasping and seeking to apply verses 1 and 2, we miss the core foundation upon which every other construct that we seek to do in our family systems is rooted in. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, if you leave here with nothing else today, I want you to leave here with a challenge to fix your eyes on Jesus. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of what situation you're dealing with, whether it's a family situation in the focus of discipline, or you are a single individual or a student who's going, I don't know how this applies to me in my life. Understand this, that the call of the truth of Scripture in your life is to become more and more like Christ and less and less like who you are. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And more specifically, I'm going to challenge you families and challenge us as a church family to understand that step one in approaching this idea and concept of discipline in our homes, but also in the church, has to begin with a foundation that's rooted in fixing our eyes on Christ. So let's pause a minute. Let's pray. I want to, I want to pray specifically that we would do just that, to step back and kind of remove the blanket of every opinion that we have on this so that we can see more clearly who Jesus is and what God the Father has called us to in Christ when it comes to this. Father, we come to you and we celebrate that you are a heavenly Father who is always faithful and who always has our best interest and good in mind. Father, I praise you that you have given us the ability to open your word and to freely proclaim the truth that pours forth from the richness of this spring. God, I pray today that you would remove that which hinders our gaze from being fixated completely and fully upon Jesus, our Savior, so that we might understand more clearly the example that has been set before us, that we would become less like who we are and more like who you've called us to be in Christ for your glory above all else. I pray this in his name. Amen. So. 
I want to start at verse three and we're just going to navigate this. But I want you to understand that the letter of Hebrews is written to the church. It's written to believers within Jerusalem as a whole. And Hebrews is one of those books of the Bible that uh, if you have never read through the book of Hebrews from start to finish, I challenge you to do that this week. Um, start at chapter one, read all the way through to the end of Hebrews, because you will understand Hebrews significantly more if you read all the way through it before you start trying to study it in depth. It's actually a good practice for you to get into with any letter, with any book of the Bible. Start, instead of diving into a really deep study on one verse or one chapter, start by just reading it. Immerse yourself into God's Word. Not for the purpose of understanding it to begin with, but for the purpose of internalizing it, to understand the whole scope of what God is communicating through His Word. This is one of those letters, though, that I especially say, if you've never read through this, read through it start to finish. It will open your eyes to so much and ingrain and entwine everything else together. But what the writer of Hebrews is communicating in this section of his letter is this, this encouragement to endure, to, to faithfully endure hardship that's coming and that is and that's happening. And ultimately, the focus in the midst of that hardship is to be Jesus. The example of how to endure is, in fact, Jesus himself. We see this in verse 3 where it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, that's me. I don't want to grow weary. I don't want to be faint-hearted. I want to move through this with motivation, with passion, with energy, with focus. Well, consider him, consider Christ who endured such hostility against himself. Then verse 4 comes along. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. No one can argue with this claim. Anyone who was reading this in the in in the time of this being written in Jerusalem, anyone reading this would be like, yeah, I have breath in my lungs. I have not given my life for Christ. If you are here right now or you are listening online or on the radio, whatever it may be right now, you have not In your struggle with sin, resisted to the point of shedding your own blood, of of ending up passing away because you resisted sin and you pursued Jesus and you fought for this. It has not happened. But verse 5 takes a transition here and says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And this is meant to be kind of rhetorical, and I almost read it... uh, And this is my own reading. I almost read this sarcastically. Have you forgotten? Really? Have you forgotten this? And every time I come to a section of scripture like this, I automatically think of the struggle that we can have sometimes with young children, right? Where you tell them over and 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 over again that we need to do something or we need to respond in a way. And then you bring it up because it still hasn't been done. And what's the response? I forgot. Right? Right? Am I alone in that? Has anyone else experienced this? Right? Okay. But here's the, here's the kicker. Every time I open the Word of God and I start reading and I start putting the lens on myself, you know what I see? I see that I 
And we, as a whole, are very prone to simply being spiritual toddlers who are so young in our faith and immature that no matter how many times we've heard this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we still don't seem to get it. And this is not anything new. This, this has been the case. You look at the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament, and God showed up in a pillar of fire, and a few chapters later, all of a sudden, they're like, God, why are you? You've abandoned us. It was better when we were in Egypt. Have you forgotten? Yes. The, 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 the truthful response to this question is, yes, we've forgotten. We've forgotten what we've been taught and given in Christ because we often don't prioritize that. But what he goes on to quote here in the next section of verse 5 and verse 6 is actually a quotation specifically from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Where this would have been something that was not new to the church here in Jerusalem. It was not new to them at all. They would have heard this before, which is why he brings it up. Have you not forgotten this core truth, this encouraging truth? So church, listen to this encouraging truth. In Hebrews, that's quoted from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So, in all of this, recognize this. Discipline reveals God's care for you. As our Heavenly Father, God's discipline, His correcting work, His punishing work shows that He loves and cares for you. Now, here's an interesting truth that we see in Scripture. God only disciplines His children. He does not discipline His enemies. He judges His enemies. Not everyone... In the world is a child of God. <gasps> Everyone is created in God's image. But there is a big distinction between being an image bearer of God and being adopted into his family. John 1 reminds us of this when it says, But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Short summary, who gets to determine who is a child of God? God does. Everyone say, God does. God gets to determine this. And it is only those who believed in the name of Jesus to be saved that are counted as children of God, co-heirs with Christ. Sons and daughters of the Most High adopted into His family as Romans 8 so specifically defines. 
And so for those of you who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, this is something to be celebrated. Because you are a part of God's family and he is disciplining you because you are not yet who he has called you to be in Christ. This is where we can fill in the blanks with the passage from James that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance or long-suffering, and that much must have its work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but I am not there. I am not perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? It means God still has a disciplinary chastening work to do in my life. And I should celebrate the fact that he's promised to do that. If I am one of his children, he has promised not to just let me wander and be whoever I decide I want to be. But he's going to correct me and point me ultimately back to the image of his son who he's called me to be like. One of the greatest lies our culture is communicating to every person out there is that the best thing you can be right now is who you are. Be yourself. Be whatever you want to be. No, don't do that because according to Scripture, who you are is tainted and unable to stand before God. Who you are is someone who's, regardless of how good you think you are, you're rooted into your sin and you are hopeless apart from Christ. That's what Scripture reveals. So don't remain who you are. And don't just check a box and say, I committed my life to Christ and then I'm going to stay who I am because, hey, I got security, but I'm just going to be who I am. Instead, Scripture gives us a very specific command to become more and more like Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus Pursue a life that's less and less in sin and more and more in righteousness as you look further that you've been redeemed in Christ. And if you are a child of God, he will be faithful to remind you, hey, you are not there. And that's painful. It's painful to mess up and then face trial and go, oh, this hurts. This is not fun. But for the follower of Christ, as you grow in maturity, you should be able to look at those hard situations of life and go, Lord, thank you for not allowing me to remain where I am. Discipline reveals God's care for you. Second thing, as we look at verses 7 through 10, discipline reveals God's intimate role as Father. If you look at verse 9, he gives this example. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness. If you are someone who marks in your Bible or takes notes, that should be something that you underline. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. This should be what we remind each other when we face trial and we go, the Lord is trying to teach me something and I can find hope and security in the fact that he is disciplining for my good that I might be holy as he is holy. 
Now, some of you, as you read that and you think about the example of fathers, you have experienced wrong or no discipline. Maybe that question about your family of origin stirred up some really negative emotions. Because discipline was associated with something that was not okay. It was abusive. It was wrong. Dads, on this Father's Day, we have a responsibility to, one, celebrate that God has given us the gift of children. It's a blessing from the Lord, according to Psalm 127. But also to heed the instructions of Scripture about our role as dads. In fact, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's the standard for discipline in our homes, dads? It should be God's own discipline of His children. The standard and model by which we discipline should be rooted in how God in Christ is disciplining us and calls us to holiness. So dads, on this Father's Day, I just want to challenge you as a fellow dad with the reality that who you are today will be one of the most earthly examples of who your kids see God the Father to be. You want an immense weighty challenge. Think about that for a minute. When we take this concept of fatherhood, what is the most practical example of a father that our children are going to have? It's you as a dad. So if they see you as faithful and devoted and intentional and pursuing Christ, what do you think they're going to have, their perception of God is going to be when it describes him as father? Man, I just picture in my mind when I hear that word father, I picture my dad. Some of you may have grown up without fathers. Some of you may not have kids. I just want to tell you, you have the opportunity to be a spiritual dad to someone who may not have one. To be that source of modeling Jesus in someone's life who otherwise might not see that. Don't diminish the possibility of that. And to the person who's had a terrible father, where they just are hurt, I want you to hear that God as Father is nothing like your earthly father. He dwells in perfect justice, righteousness, and holiness. So how do we apply this, church? What do we do to bring application to this? First thing I want you to understand, specifically to families, I want to give you one specific application. If discipline doesn't happen, you are not fulfilling your God-given role as a parent. It may be way easier just to not discipline. There are days it is easier to not discipline. Your children will be okay with you not disciplining them. But that is not what God has called our role to be. And in fact... Hebrews 12 tells us that it's in fact God's discipline that reveals His love for us. I love this verse in Proverbs. <laughs> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Stupid. 
I looked this verse up in four different English translations and every one of them ended with stupid. It didn't matter which one you looked at. The word translates very clearly. Whoever loves discipline. Have you ever approached discipline like that? I just love that the Lord disciplines me. We don't talk like that. But that's what scripture says. If you love discipline, you love knowledge and maturity, growth. But if you hate reproof and you seek to avoid it, you are a foolish person. According to scripture, you are stupid to deny that because you are remaining where you're at. Parents don't allow the temptation just to get by, keep you from intentionally disciplining your children. Second application thing here. Our discipline as guardians and parents should imitate the discipline of God. You want the example and motivation for what our discipline should look like and how it should be structured. Look at God's purposes in discipline. What is he purposing to do in us through discipline? And how can we purpose to do the same thing in the lives of our children? God's purpose is for growth and maturity of the one who needs discipline. So here's some wrong reasons. I thought of this and I'm like, what are some wrong reasons that we tend to approach discipline if we think of it this way? The first one is it's wrong for us to approach discipline in order to move only towards behavior modification. The motive should be heart transformation. Now, I'll be the first one to admit to you, you and I cannot bring about heart transformation in the lives of our kids, but we can model it. The Spirit of God is the only one who can do the transformational work in your kids, but we can model it. And if the only purpose for me disciplining my children is to see their behavior change, I'm missing the point. The second wrong reason is to bring, this is big church, if our reason to discipline is to bring about, whether intentionally or unintentionally, a mindset of shame, it is wrong. There is a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I regret what I've done. Shame says, I'm a terrible person who has no worth or value. And if we are not careful as parents and as the church, we will shame people for mistakes they've made. And you will leave lasting scars in the lives of those people. As they will struggle to find their identity as anything other than worthless and hopeless. Guilt is an important aspect of our transformation in Christ. Because guilt leads to repentance. But shame should have no role in that. In fact, one phrase that should be removed completely from our vocabulary is the phrase, shame on you. Nuh-uh. No one has the right to say that to another person. God alone is the one who could identify someone as shameful. We need to be very careful with our motivation in that. The last wrong motive, which this one, I'm going to admit, church, I struggle with this. And it has been something my wife and I have had to work on immensely. Is if I discipline simply because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think about me as a parent, that's the wrong motive. If I see my kids acting up in public and I get on their case and I lash out at them, 
most of the time, the reason I lash out at them is not because of their behavior. It's because I'm embarrassed. Me being embarrassed is not a reason for me to tear down my kids. Does a conversation need to happen, potentially a consequence? Yes. But if my only motivation for doing that is that my kids have humiliated me, that's selfish. Wrong motive. Everyone say wrong. Verse 11 in Hebrews 12, it says this. For the moment, all discipline, everyone say all. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I brought this up here. Anyone know what this is? Soap. You use this for washing dishes, cleaning stuff up. But some of you may even know where I'm going with this. Don't you? This was a common staple in our home growing up. And here's the biblical principle. Church Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only that which is good for building others up. And man, I tell you, there were times it was way easier to let the unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. And to this day, my brother and I were just talking about this the other day, we can still taste it. (laughs) And sometimes there's certain, in fact, we were even talking about how there's certain scents of this, or flavors, if you will, That we can't even use because it stirs up these memories, right? In our home, right now with our kids, they know exactly what takes place if we lie or we use our words in a way that's not okay. Now, the reason I illustrate this is not because you should, as a parent, absolutely do this, okay? That I'm not going to, the Bible doesn't say make sure and have soap on hand. It's not a biblical command, okay? Here's the thing, though. What I have found in my own parenting is I have two options when something happens to where this comes out. I have the option to be really angry and frustrated and get upset at my kids in discipline and anger. I can't believe you did that. You know better. You know this is not what we do. You know you don't talk to your sibling like that. You know, And I wish I could say that I always... Do this right. There's times, and you could ask my kids, where I have to confess that I approach these situations wrong. Or I can look at this situation, I can go, all right, what does the Bible say about how we're to use our words? And they would tell you, we're supposed to build others up. Was that building others up? No. Okay, and what is the consequence that we've established when we use our mouth in a dirty way? Well, I get soap in my mouth. And they, they willingly open their mouth and accept the consequences. But the lesson in that is not just you need to change your behavior. It's that you need to understand what God has called you to in this area. And if I don't follow through on the broader explanation of the purpose for which we need to make sure our words are used correctly then I am not disciplining for the right reasons. Every opportunity we have to discipline is an opportunity to train and equip. And that's what Hebrews 11 says. 
for a, for a time, all discipline is painful. And sometimes it tastes really bad. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here's what I want to leave you with. To the parent or guardian that is exhausted by what feels like failed discipline today, hear this. God has not called you to perfect parenting. He has called you to humbly depend on Him. Persevere. To the parent or guardian that just wants to be your kid's friend and not discipline, recognize that what is left when your kid leaves the home will not be fruitful in the way you are desiring it to be. Kick it into gear. To the parent or guardian whose kids are out of the house, don't let your experiences, good or bad, go unused. Find some people at an early stage that you have been that you've already been through and invest in them. Let them hear. And in all of this church, fix your eyes on Jesus. Regardless of who you are, regardless of the situation you're facing, whether you have kids or not, fix your eyes on Jesus and pray that He would continue to reveal His faithful disciplining work in your life, that you would become less like yourself and more like what He has called you to. Amen?